Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. What's up? That was a great talk. Thanks so much. Uh, and let's there. There we go. Looked like something was still tweaking out in the background. Uh, we have from Happy Hive. We have Karen, Karen Whitney Vernon, and she's going to be talking about the one word that can help you hire better. So take it away. Ah, oh, thanks so much, and it's great to be here. It's always a little strange to be presenting in front of my computer. Um, so bear with me as, as I get used to this, but um, it's great to be here. And I want to start with a, a story and I focus on 1982. Um, it was at the height of the Atari game business. And there was a young man who was given a very impossible task. He had to create a game for a movie. And, and back in the 80s, this was rare uh, to, to, to pair a movie with a game. So he went to, uh, about this task and he was given five weeks. And the person he was doing the film for was none other than Steven Spielberg. And his name was Howard Warshaw. And you might all know this story because it's infamous in, in the gaming business, but he went on and he only had five weeks to create this game. So he got all the machines into his house um, and he worked on it tirelessly and he put his heart and soul into making this game. And for five weeks, that's all he did. He didn't eat, he didn't sleep, he just sat there and did this game. He had no outdoor, outside input. He only once talked to Steven Spielberg who thought it was a little bit uh, out of control, the game, but in the end, he just let him, he approved it. And I think everybody knows the story. It was released and it was, it's considered the worst video game ever. And not only did uh, Howard never work in the industry again, that was it for him, but soon after Atari actually closed its doors. Now it's not only because this was a terrible game, but really what it was showing was the power of, of being all on your own creating a game and with no outside input and just thinking that what you're doing is right. And that's not how we work anymore. We work together. We work to come up with ideas. We work with the idea of diversity and having different ideas coming into the game. Now, some of you might have heard now um, there's a group of gaming enthusiasts um, that have gone to New Mexico and they've actually filmed the recovering and the, the um, excavation of the Atari site because they were so interested in seeing what this was all about and finding these games um, and seeing if it really was a dumping ground um, for this. So I think they even made a movie out of this. But again, um, the, 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 at the time, E.T. was such a huge, powerful thing, but the game was just so confusing. And again, in Howard's mind, he had the best idea he thought that anybody could ever do. So 
we know now that there is the importance of different people coming in. And also when you think about it, the world has changed now. We are never gonna have the same um, environment that we did before uh, where with work. Uh, we've got uh, hybrid work, we've got remote work. Um, people are really challenged with getting people back in the office. I mean, they're trying incentives, they're trying um, uh, you know, all sorts of ways to get people to come back into the office. So we know we are never gonna go back into the office full time, uh, or at least a lot of us aren't. And that is changing that the dynamics. I mean, how do you create a sense of a community of your company? How do you pull together um, the culture and talk about what you're doing when half the people are at home or working um, remotely? Um, I think the expectations of employees is greater. I know we're having a little bit of a reset you see in, in a lot of the big tech companies that are downsizing right now, but the reality is still people are hiring. It's a lot of hiring going on. There's a lot of pressure on hiring managers. We still have this old mantage of, you know, I can, I can find the best people um, doing the same method that I've always done in the past. The expectation of employees is much greater. Uh, we want more um, autonomy. We want more uh, thoughts on how we work. Uh, there's more demands, not just on money, but on lifestyle choices and how we're going to provide for um, our employers going to provide. But it doesn't just stop there. There's also a social element now that's important. Like we are looking at people and saying, companies, we're expecting companies to step up into areas that we thought usually governments or people would do. And now companies are expected to kind of take on social roles and stand up for the rights of, of underserved people. Um, you know, we've had, um, so I think that has changed as well, what we are expected to do and where we should go with this. Um, they're, you know, workers are demanding better treatment. And I think uh, the gaming industry, you've seen a lot of, uh, you know, whether it is people setting up unions, trying to set up unions for better pay and better treatment, um, because the thought has always been, well, there's somebody else just there that I can fill them up with. But as I said, this new generation, uh, Gen Z, um, millennials, their expectation is greater and they're not going to put up with that for long. So I think um, having an understanding of that is really in important. And I think companies are still trying to figure out how they do this. This has never been happened before. Um, developing a company or building a company, the number one priority is hiring the right people. And that is surveys done asking this question. So it's not, it's not, um, uh, that's a standard kind of response to what is your number one priority for building your company. The problem is we have this really attached um, belief in meritocracy. And so what I mean by that is that we think that we have the ability as hiring managers, as company owners, to find the right people just by looking at a resume, just by interviewing them. And that we are, this idea of meritocracy is unbiased. We don't have any biases about it. We are hiring the best people because we look at them and we think they're the best people. But I want to give you an example of story where this isn't the case. And it really showcases what happens when people believe that meritocracy is the only way to hire. So the New York Philharmonic, very famous orchestra, 
And for years and years, 50s, 60s, they always had 100% men in the orchestra. There were no women. And they always believed that they were hiring the best musicians. I remember this subject is the best violinists, the best pianists, the best cello players. They believed that they had the best. And so for years, that's all that people saw was a full male orchestra. And then one day in the 70s, when there was a lot of pushback from women about having greater rights, they decided to try something new. And what they did is they put up a screen, as simple as a screen, and they asked the people to come on at an audition. So I would listen to the players. And after the first year, they increased the number of women to 30%. So the idea of the best, you have to question it. Are you really getting the best? Or are you getting the best according to you as who you are and your experience? The other thing is, I love this. I, I was looking across sort of like what, what we're doing with our job description. So we're out there and we're saying, we need more people. We're hiring for these positions. And what has happened, we call it job creep. So what happens is we start to think that we can provide a lot, we can find that unicorn, even for an entry-level job. And we start adding on more and more and more. And in fact, what the research has found is that people will just take an old, and tell me if you've done this yourself, but you'll take an old job description that maybe someone had done two or three years ago. And things have changed in two or three years. We know with technology, things are changing rapidly. And rather than going through it and mindfully deciding what you want and what you don't really need anymore, they just add on and they add on and they add on. They don't provide anything to do with compensation. They don't talk about expectations other than here's a list of things that we expect you to do. And you know what that does? That first of all, most women, for example, if they don't have at least 95% of what they're seeing on that job description, they won't even apply. In fact, it deters a lot of people from even applying. And there could be really great people that you're overlooking because of your first entry into talking to anybody is this, is this blast of words and expectations, and you're not giving anything back to the person looking at it. So I think there has to be a little bit of consideration for um, your, your, what your expectation is, but also what are you giving in return? What are you providing them? Um, you know, uh, you know, and I think this, this is a first place to look. This is the first entry of what you're showing to people in your company. So what are we doing wrong today? As we said, we are filtering so much out of these systems and we think technology, and I know a lot of people here obviously are in technology um, and understand the technology, but in terms of your ATS um, systems that you're using to go through hundreds and hundreds of resumes, the, the algorithms that you often have created or someone has created for you is often again, based on proxies that might be old. And what I mean by proxies is, you might have put in there, need a four year degree. 
um, I want a four-year degree from these universities. And you might have based that criteria on the fact that the people that you've hired in the past have all come from this school, um, have this background. And so you put that criteria into part of your ATS system. And the algorithms that are looking at it are kind of churning it out and going through it. So first of all, you use these proxies that might be outdated and are irrelevant, are not the main point of what you're trying to get across and what you're trying to hire. Um, and that screening software is searching for, again, something very particular that might have been in your past, but is not your future. Because again, algorithms can only work on what you have, data that you have from the past. What we're really saying is now things have changed. So are you looking at even that initial reaction to how do you go through resumes? How do you even look at what you're doing and who you're picking as part of your team? Um, and if you don't understand the algorithms or somebody else is doing, has created the algorithm, you have to question what proxies they're using, how they've set up the data sets, really look at what you're doing because that simple process could weed out great employees for your company. The other thing is, if you think you you're looking for 100% of those skills from somebody, again, you might be missing out on somebody who has 80% of those skills and has a great um, ability to bring people together and has other, what I'll call for lack of a word, soft skills that can help communicate ideas, can help bring things together. And with just a bit of training, they could be one of your best employees. But you'll never know because you've created this system that becomes really, it's almost, uh, you know, as I said, it's, it's not allowing people to even get through your filters. And I think, um, you know, when you look at the, the, uh, the gaming industry now, the talent pool, we talked a little bit about, you know, everyone's talking about all this redistribution of talent. Um, as you know, in the gaming industry, a lot of these big companies have got involved in gaming. So it's not just Google as a search company or Apple as a search company. They're, they are controlling a lot of how gaming is either being distributed or received. And there is a redistribution of this talent pool that's happening right now. And you might think it has nothing to do with you um, because it's technology. But again, there's such an interplay now of technology companies and gaming companies that even this idea of redistribution distribution of, of talent pool. Um, some people are seeing it as an opportunity to look for people that come from other industries and maybe bringing them into the gaming world. Um, and with the onset of things like um, that we're seeing with, uh, you know, the, the metaverse or web 3.0, a lot of the talents that the gaming industry has already created and already understands is going to be poached from other industries. So this idea that we're in this little um, streams of talent has changed. It, everything is being redistributed and it's becoming less independent than it used to be um, before. So what can we do? What is it? What can we learn today in the next half an hour or so that we can really make for improving our access to great people, making a great company? Because I do want to talk about um, this idea of, of creating a great company. And I do think we have a secret weapon and I think we're missing out on it. And I think that secret weapon is creating a new pool. You know, we, we keep getting talent from the same places. Let's start something new. And 
let's look at people that we might have overlooked. And we believe at Happy Hive that DEI, diversity, inclusion, and equity, is so much a part of that secret tool and that idea of finding new talent and of really understanding that we can broaden our ideas. Because let's face it, the gaming world now, the amount of people, amount of women that are playing games is, is increasing all the time. And having somebody on your, in part of your group that understands a large part of that demographic that's playing your games is an important element. And I really do want to talk a little bit about why, why that is important to us. But first of all, I really want to understand, um, you know, if people know what diversity and inclusion means um, and what it means to you. And just think about it for a minute, um, because I, I, I think people have different ideas on what it means. Um, and I think we need to look at that a little bit more closely. So I'm just going to read this because I think it's important. At diversity refers to the traits and characteristics that make people unique, while inclusion refers to the behaviors and social norms that ensure people feel a sense of belonging. They feel welcome, valued, and have support of the organization. So while you might, and we've seen it time and time again, uh, where people will say, oh, we've hired X, we've got a, a diversity team, we're making sure we're hiring X amount of women or uh, people from underrepresented groups to be part of our teams, but then they're missing the inclusion part. And so they wonder, well, we hired three women, but they didn't stay. So that's where the inclusion comes in. What have you done in your organization to create a, a, a safe space for those people that have different views and behaviors? So they don't feel like they're being um, left out or they don't feel like um, they're not being listened to or being valued and they do have the support of the company and of their, their colleagues. So um, I think that is important. And I, I wanna uh, talk a little bit about a story. Um, years, I think it was probably 2014, we, uh, we had an opportunity or Apple had an opportunity to create the most comprehensive dash um, tracking system, health tracking system in the world. They came out big fanfare. They're telling everybody, oh my gosh, we have this amazing new product. It can tell you, Eric, it can talk to you about your calories burned, what your sleep was. Um, it went to what your blood sugar level was, your malignant level, which I had to look up what that even meant. Um, and they had all this, they put it to big fanfare. They launched it and they were very proud of it. They had a lot of press around it. And very soon after they launched it, uh, there was a group of women that started coming up and saying, um, you're missing a very fundamental part of most of us. And that is you have no period tracker, no menstruation tracker, nothing to talk about women. So this was a very expensive, costly mistake, which could have been solved very easily by having women as part of the decision-making team, part of building the program. And it is... Uh, that environment that I think is important, even if you're a small company, for you really to view and to understand and to consider. Um, if you are building products that you think pe other people are going to uh, use other than yourself sitting around the table. There are countless examples, like Apple, of people that have launched products that are missing a key fundamental thing for specific um, 
groups of people. And again, I'm going back to it when we talked at the very beginning about people that feel a need to connect with companies that care about society. By having that diversity and that openness to different ideas, you're going to create a really wonderful product, a wonderful team and a great company. So, but it's not just a question of what, what I'm saying here. I mean, there is a ton of research out there that talks about why diversity matters. Um, and it matters in all sorts of ways and it has profound effect on a company. So these are individuals like Anita Woolley. Um, she's been researching this idea of diversity on teams. And it's so interesting um, because what, one of her main things on diversity um, and what makes what makes up a good team and was more women. So the more women that they had on the on the team, sometimes that they found the greater the idea, um, the the concept of it spreading around the company and being embedded within the company. So it, it goes beyond just the team itself, but it actually helps to build a stronger uh, company. Um, we've seen research on the collaboration that happens. Uh, decision-making becomes better. Um, there's reduced conflict in a sense, but it's attractive also to new hires. Often people will ask who's on your board. I mean, that's one of the things we track at Happy Hive is who's on people's boards, who, how many women make up their, their, uh, their management teams. Those are important questions now that people are looking for. Retention and stability, more women that they're there, that the greater the chance that you'll keep your company strong and together. Uh, profitability. Um, they've done a huge study in Australia uh, with every company that was on a uh, publicly traded company on Australia, the Australian Stock Exchange. And they found that um, it the companies that had at least 30% women on their board had a much greater return um, year over year. Um, so again, those studies are out there. If you're questioning uh, what, why, why is it important? Why do I even care? Um, that, that gives you a lot of reasons why you should be looking at this um, as an idea. Now, there are a lot of companies that have struggled with this. And I know I hear it time and time again from tech and even some gaming companies where it's like, we want to hire more women, but we just can't find them. And again, I've gone through some of those things that we're putting in place that already prevent prevent that from happening. But Etsy had the same problem. But Etsy, the challenge they had was that 90% of their audience were women. And yet they had less than 15% of their, uh, their, their people that were designing and building the, the programs and the apps were men. So they thought this doesn't make sense. And so um, one of their senior uh, executives decided um, that he was going to set up a um, these boot camps and the boot camps would be exclusively put at Etsy. But instead of advertising, because normally when they did the boot camps, they still had predominantly 80, 90% men coming to the boot camp. So they're saying, okay, well, that's not working. So what can we do next? So they looked at again, where are the advertising? Where are they actually putting their ads to find people? And they realized they were putting it again in places that most men would go to, but not women. So the women weren't even finding out about this opportunity. So they decided, okay, we're going to advertise and promote this in areas where we know women are going to be. 
that are that are interested in technology and that are part of it. And they brought them into these um, these um, boot camps. But the other interesting thing too is they realized that boot camps can be expensive. You, you're in New York. Etsy was in New York. Um, it could be hard for some people that really want to get into the industry. So they set up a $5,000 stipend for each one of these people that came in. And there was no guarantee of a job. It was just a stipend to say, hey, come and we'll train you. And they spent the next three months training them on um, hacker. They called it hacker school, but they trained them on different elements that they needed at that time at their company. And they created this pool of students that they then ran this program and they were able to recruit um, more and more women. And actually they changed their dynamics, uh, their numbers of women in their company that were working in the technical field, again, not overall, but in the technical area from less than 15% to close to 30. So within those two years, they were able to double it and retain the women because there was such a sense of loyalty. You've given me an opportunity when no one else did. You provided me with training, with knowledge. So you're getting a, a, a different hire than what you might get if they were just going out and poaching from uh, Pinterest or from Google. Because if you go and you poach a person from another company, the often the only reason why they're leaving because they're not actively recruiting for a new job, the only reason they're leaving is because of money. So you're actually increasing the amount of money you actually end up paying for people if you keep poaching. And what Etsy found was, they said uh, they made a record 4.2 billion. So it was up 16.5% year over year after they did this program and had more women in their group. So I think it was, that was based on a two year average um, looking at it. So I, I think the idea of um, really looking at what they were able to do and how they were able to change uh, that company but they did it in a very unique way and they questioned everything every time every part of the way they looked at it what they were doing and how they were doing it and again there's something wonderful about 30. Um, again research has shown that 30 is a pivotal point when people that are in a either a disadvantaged group or a group that has lower representation, they will actually feel part and they feel strength in those numbers and it can change the dynamics of a, of a team. So it's not just a question about having, again, women on a team. It's a question about the number of women and how you go about recruiting them and getting them part of it. But they're not the only ones that have struggled. Um, I think when we look at it, uh, what we can learn with this is they were very transparent in what they were trying to do and how they were trying to achieve um, uh, their their access to new people. They made it a publicly announced that they lacked the number of women. They made, once you make a public announcement, it's very hard to go away from it. So they were very transparent about what they were trying to do and who they were trying to support. They also analyzed everything they analyzed the cost of switching from this new way of hiring, which was using boot camps and training people that maybe didn't have quite the skills they were looking for, to the old way of going out and poaching from other areas. And even with the cost of $5,000 that would go to these 30 students that they were supporting, was less expensive than hiring somebody to do the recruitment, going out and then paying um, 
fees for that. So they actually analyze the cost. And I think it's important that we look at this as a, a, a value, not just um, of, of doing this as a nice to have. This is not a nice to have anymore. This is a business decision. This is really important for us to look at why we're doing things and analyze it as we would any other thing in our business. Sales, business expenses, we have to look at these costs and really understand them. But they didn't lower their standards. They didn't. And that's another thing people say, oh, well, we had to lower our standards to get you know other people in. No, they didn't. The school allowed them to really push through what was important, what they were, the expectation was. And as I mentioned, not everyone was hired from that group. They all had great training and they all had great, but the, the ones that really stood out or the ones they liked were the ones that ended up uh, being part of it. The other thing that was really interesting is if you talk to a lot of people, and I know a lot of you will probably do some sort of technical interview um, when you're there, but if you talk to a lot of people that are managing these interviews and going through them, they actually say they're terrible. They actually think that they're not a good way of understanding the value that somebody brings to the table and what they're, able, what they're able to learn, how they learn, uh, it's, it's really missing a lot of that. So I think it's important that um, it, it, to look again at every aspect of what you're doing uh, to really understand where you sit and what you're, what you're trying to achieve. So uh, Etsy was the other one uh, that was trying to do this too. I mean, companies like Microsoft were really struggling with getting a more diverse team and they had tried and tried again to look at it um, and they couldn't meet their goals and they did they were transparent they were saying we're trying to get to this amount of uh, women in our group or diversity in in general people from disadvantaged uh, disadvantaged groups or underrepresented groups and um, so they made a bold move they actually tied compensation to this and again they looked at it as a business imperative they didn't just look at it as Oh, it's great. This is a nice to have. Yeah, let's just throw some women. Let's just throw some uh, people that have disabilities on our team. And then we're done with it. No, no, no. They made it a business imperative. Again, it's back to looking at, does this actually drive business? Do you get better products, better customers, a better company because of diversity and inclusion? And if you don't, well, then you at least have the numbers to back up what you've tried. But I think Microsoft really did a, um, they looked at their senior executives and they said, if by this end, you're not only gonna be um, evaluated on your qualifications, what you've provided and your sales and, and your team, but you're gonna be also uh, compensated on the way that you hire and who you hire and how you do that. And it became a core priority, just like any other business. Um, and I think, um, Today, Microsoft has 22% women uh, globally. Now that's globally. And in technical roles alone, Microsoft has 49% more women than they did when they started this program. Uh, they've seen, I think, a 56% increase in their executives uh, team and their technical roles have doubled um, since they've done this. So overall, um, it's attributed to a lot of factors, but one of the key areas they, they really believe in is compensating their executive team based on, on this criteria.
indie game business has one of the longest running digital event series in the gaming industry with hundreds of publishers, investors, developers, and tech companies to meet with. All the sessions are always free to watch forever, and you can get a free pass to receive all the slide decks from all the speakers. The tickets for meetings start just at $50. Go to IndieGame.Business and use the code IGBPODCAST to get 20% off your ticket. So key learnings here, as we said, they saw this in growth of women in technical roles, but the other thing was also sort of double digit revenue growth. So again, we're not, I want to get away from that thinking, this is a nice to have, but not a need to have. It is a need to have. It will change your business. It will increase your revenue and it will make a better workplace. So again, the key learnings here was diversity was the business priority and they held uh, managers accountable um, for what they were they were doing. But again, I'm, I'm going back, they measured the progress. And I know it can seem a little daunting if you're a small company to go, okay, I got a, you know, Microsoft, great, they're a massive company, they have people that can do this. But again, you're measuring your sales. It's a line item. You know, you, you measure your hiring and how long people stay. And I think the other key element that, that Microsoft and now a lot of companies are doing is they actually publish their workforce data. They make it available for other people to see. That's an accountability thing. That, that is holding the company accountable. It's making other potential recruits look at this, and it makes employees proud to work for a company that is open and honest about its business transactions and its business uh, force. Interesting enough, um, you'll see in, in some countries like the UK now, it is mandatory that companies of a certain size have to publish their, um, their pay, um, the pay for all employees. And they have to show medium and mean pay grades. Um, and so you can easily find out companies now that how they, their, their pay structure is. And uh, it's New York now is, is putting that in. Um, there are, uh, in Canada, where I'm from, there is now, if you're federally working for the federal government, you have to put um, pay there. So pay is becoming a much more of a transparent thing. And, and people are looking for work uh, appreciate that. We have this weird connection with money and when we talk about pay, but it's, let's be honest, we're all out there to, to make a living and uh, provide food for our family and put, uh, put uh, items on the table for, to have a healthy family. So, um, but really what we're trying to say here is that diversity um, really allows us to connect, to be more collaborative and to be more creative. And I think it helps solve problems and um, really look at how we can do a better job of creating great products and a great company. So really at Happy Hive, when I, we looked at that one key word, the one element that was important, um, it's, it's really teams. Um, the team element is that one word. It's, you know, we hire individually, but we expect you to work in a team. No one, it's the example of Howard trying to 
figure out the ET game on his own. It's just, it's impossible to be working as a side, as a solo person. So having a team and understanding the team dynamics is really important. And so I want to talk a little bit about this. Um, there's a very famous coach and he's a team coach as Patrick um, Lencioni. And he really argues that teams are essential to the success of any organization and that effective teams are built on five elements. And um, if you get a chance and you can read some of his work, it's, it's, it's really great stuff. But the, the elements of teams are um, really about um, building trust. And he talks a lot about, um, you know, holding people accountable. But really, at the end of the day, if you can create a good team, um, you're going to have a great company and you're going to have people that want to work for you. The challenge is, and I don't care if you're a small company or a massive company, it is probably one of the biggest challenges people have is creating teams, is understanding team dynamics, is understanding how they work and, and what you can do to improve those teams. And um, so I, I think the first thing that we often look at is that um, the absence of trust. Um, remember when I, I mentioned the, the fact that we're bringing you know, we bring some women together into a group and expect them, we can't understand why they leave. Um, one of the fundamental reasons is an absence of trust. And when you don't trust each other, you're not going to be honest. You're not going to say when things aren't right. You're not going to, um, you're not going to collaborate. And um, you have to almost be vulnerable, which is very hard uh, for a lot of people. And it really stems from the top down. Um, if the manager or the owner is vulnerable and says, um, again, trust isn't your past. It's not knowing, oh, I know she can get the job done. Trust is for the future. Trust is looking at, you know, um, can I share my mistakes with you and not be reprimanded? Or can I share my weaknesses that I don't feel comfortable doing this, or I need to learn a little bit more and maybe you know more and you can help me. Those are the elements of trust. And most that is a starting ground of where teams will break down is this lack of trust. But the second dysfunction that many teams have is uh, this fear of conflict. And I know this for myself. I mean, having to bring up something with a, um, a teammate that that is uh, maybe isn't going right is a very uncomfortable feeling and a lot of people avoid it. And so what ends up happening is we have these back channel conversations where I start to diss on so-and-so because they didn't do the work or it wasn't right. Or rather than actually during a meeting saying, Hey, this isn't, this isn't working out. And again, it's not about your character. It's about the work. And um, I've seen some really great solutions to this problem. Um, and it's providing guide guidance as a manager or as a team leader to how to do this. So often people will actually set up a, um, a conflict, uh, you know, coach. So one of the individuals on the team is actually there to look and see if there is something and to actually at that meeting, get through it and not taking it offline. Because again, if you take it offline, that means it's never going to be solved and this problem is going to come back again. So the third dysfunction is lack of commitment. And when the team members are not committed to the goals and objectives, then you're going to have a challenge actually coming through with a great product and creating a great team. 
So um, they have to, you really have to set clear understanding of what you're trying to do and everybody to buy into it. So it's not just a leader saying, this is what we're going to do. It's the team then deciding how they're going to do it and what's important. And it's not about consensus because consensus waters down ideas. It's about everybody believing the same way and going through it. And I'm not saying this is easy. It's tough to do, but that's where we get breakdown in these teams. And this is why teams can sort of become dysfunctional. And really, I want you to think while we're going through this, is your team hitting any of these? Because I think when you do this exercise, you can actually see um, that there are elements of this that maybe your team can work on. So we talk about responsibility now as another core um, uh, issue. And Pat Summit, she was a great um, athlete. She was a volleyball coach. Um, and she grew up in a time when women's sports was really undervalued. And she became a huge advocate for um, equal, um, equal rights, equal um, kind of uh, ownership of women and, and sports. And I think, uh, you know, this, this quote has been used a lot, but it really speaks to this sense of ownership. Because again, another dysfunction is if I don't have ownership of the idea um, and avoidance of accountability. So if somebody can get away and we all have seen this in bad jobs, <coughs> excuse me, where somebody gets away with doing something and there's no, there's no accountability to that action. Um, and that, how does that make you feel? How does it make your team feel? And um, when, when they're not held up accountable, um, you have to sort of have clear performance goals so that again, people feel that they're all working together. They all feel like um, there's ownership to it and they're responsible for those goals. And often people, again, will publicly talk about those goals. And I think that's a fantastic way of making people accountable. Because if you put it out there, people understand that that's, that's an important part. So again, the, the last dysfunction is um, the personal goals over team goals. And um, I think it's important to understand that, that team results is what we're really trying to get here on a team. But often we're compensating people for personal results. And so what does that do again? We're not building the team spirit. We're not building that team dynamics. We're not looking at the results overall. So again, really understand that that's the fifth element um, of, of what we need to do. So what are we doing at Happy Hive? We took a look for the last two years at this and we thought there's gotta be a better way to hire. There's got to be a way that we can bring all these wonderful things meaning building diversity, we talked about that importance. How do we build better teams? And at the end of the day, that will build better products. So the Hive Advantage. And again, it's really um, some of our learnings. Again, we looked at was, we gave the example of, um, of, of what's going on with um, Etsy. But rather than that's a big company that can afford to do that. But what we're looking at is we're creating um, opportunities for women to sign up again, for uh, hackathon or challenges where we go to companies and we get what their challenge is. Um, so again, it's not just a little test that you're giving somebody, you're giving us a challenge. And these different teams, based on their skills, uh, we pull together teams, will be working on your challenge. And it allows you an opportunity to really understand the thinking, how they work. You can then compare different teams and sort of get an understanding of what's working, what's not. 
Um, it's also a great way to put your company out there, right? When you're doing these game jams is you can have an opportunity to say, look, this is what we stand for. These are the type of games we make. This is how we work. This is what's important to us. And we will find the different groups and create these different groups of women. So again, a lot of women, and I've talked to many, many, will not get involved in any kind of um, hackathons or game jams because they feel like they'd be uh, dismissed or they'd be given the job of you know, taking notes or building the UX design and they're not really given the really great opportunities. So by having women all on a team, they have the confidence, they can build the, um, um, the camaraderie and they get a sense of how each other work. And the other thing, because uh, we're doing this right now, we're piloting right now and, and watching these women and, and the appreciate, how appreciative they are to kind of meet other women and feel a sense of a team. And it's not about um, one person getting picked over another. Our goal is these women will be picked together when they get a job. So if it's two of them or three of them, um, based on the company's needs, so if the company, what type of... Uh, uh, industry or what type of um, skills they're looking for, these teams will be made up of people of those skills. And so it allows us to kind of spend a whole month working on a problem, really looking at how they, 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 their synergy is, what are their challenges. One of the first things we do for the, this group is we give them um, a, a, a test uh, um, and it allows them to see their how they they learn, how their behaviors are. Now we use a, a product called Dart, which anybody can look. It's a little bit more inexpensive than some of the the um, uh, the other um, tests that are out there for personality tests. But it gave them all a sense because a lot of us actually don't know how we learn, or we don't know what our trigger points, what what sets us off, or how do we communicate with each other. And so by understanding each team has these tests and they get a little bit of underst better understanding of who they are, how they work and how their team mates work. So they're already building a bond even before they're hired. They're already starting to create a synergy. They're already starting to know each other and they're starting to support each other and they're learning from each other. And that's one thing I hear from the, the teams I'm working with right now is um, they're working on everything from chatbots to um uh, some UX design. And they said, we get to really some of the areas I'm not very good at, and I'm learning as I go. And the companies that work with us have a technical advisor as part of these coaching set or these uh, sessions, um, these game jams or these hackathons to be there to answer questions or give, give kind of feedback or results. So again, it's not a quick I've got an hour to interview this person, another hour the next week, and I have to make a decision. It allows everybody to feel more comfortable with each other, allows um, teamwork to grow. But really, where the kicker is, we've got a coach. So these women aren't doing this all on their own. And these coaches are special, just in the same way that you have game coaches or people love game coaches, we've got team coaches. And the coaches that are working with Happy Hive right now are unbelievable. And they really help these groups through any challenges. So are they getting stuck in areas? Are they learning how to uh, communicate better? How are they dealing with conflict? Um, so all the things that Patrick Larsoni was talking about that we went through the five dysfunction, she's trying to hit it off at the pass. She's trying to decide, okay, let's really see what you're doing and how you're doing this um, so that we know um, what and if 
you, you need intervention or how we can go about doing this. And a coach isn't a teacher. As you know, a coach is really there to, to give some direction, but really at the end of the four weeks that these women go through these programs, they're the hive advantage. They are, um, they learn themselves how to deal with it. And that's part of what a coach is doing is trying to give them the skill set. So guess what happens then? When they join your team, they already have a sense of your culture because they've gone through um, a month of a game jam with you. They've got a sense of each other and they have an understanding of how they work and how the team works um, and they support each other. So even if you want to, if you had two or three of them and you split them up and they go into different departments, they still have, it's sort of like going to a co-op. Think of it like when you went through a co-op program, you stayed friends with your co-op and you might even have gone job to job with that co-op person. That's what's happening with these women. They're forming relationships and bonds. And the coach is there for the first 90 days. That's Happy Hive's promise. will come in and help with that, those first 90 days, because that's pivotal to getting people on board, feeling comfortable, feeling part of, of the team. So finally, because I know, um, you know, we're, we're coming up near the end. Um, let's innovate the hiring process. I mean, I think out of anybody that I'm talking to, the gaming industry is probably the most innovative. And so why not innovate the hiring process? Really look at your hiring practices. And again, you don't need Happy Hive for this. You can go out and do this yourself. But I mean, it's the learning that we've seen from all these companies that are doing it is track your numbers as a business imperative. Don't leave it to thoughts or one person that has, you know, an HR, because that's not what this is about. It's about really understanding um, how you can, what, where these people are coming from and how they make a better team for your company. Um, again, look at your job description and language. That's the first place that people will see. And I will argue too, where your advertising for those roles comes hand in hand, uh, because if it's constantly in the same place, you're just getting to the same people that you always see. And again, finally, ask your recruiters what they're screening for. And if you are interested in, in really learning about the Hive Advantage, um, you know, we are working very tirelessly. This is a pilot. We are tracking it. We are researching the results of this and how this could help to get um, more diversity within a company, build happier employees, expand um, the embeddedness of all your employees, and make better products. So, um, I'm going to stop sharing. I do have a um, couple of questions that I just want to leave before I know we go to the Q&A, Dan. But, um, you know, really, again, it's just having a little bit of a discussion about what's working well with your hiring practice and what you need to do differently. I would also argue, think about the best team you've ever worked on, what was great about it, why, and what was the worst team you worked on and why. Um, and consider are your teams really acting as a team? And, you know, I can count many times in my career where we were not a team at all and, and the dysfunction and the time wasted on backstabbing and, oh my goodness. So, and are you retain, creating a culture, retain your best people? You know, when you have those people there, what are you doing to ensure that they stick around and they, they help to the next generation of your new recruits to be part of that, those best teams? So I think I will stop sharing my screen now.
Excellent. Can you hear me? I sure can. All right. All right. So we have a really good con uh, comment here. I just want to bring this up. This was from way, way, way at the beginning. Oh. Um, I'm hiring an entry position, and you must have 30 years of experience and be under 25 years old. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yes. And that that uh, that post that you shared in the beginning, and then it had this thing, and then it was $9.50 an hour. Yeah. I know, I know, but but you see, this this is a challenge that you know a lot of people um, assume that you know that, that the job description doesn't really mean anything. They don't spend any time on it. They just cut and paste things, and they're not really looking mm -hmm. at what the need is and what the skill set is. Um, and so it just becomes the, the barrier for many people, and that's what we're trying to prevent. Right, right. All right. Let's see here. Click on this, click on that. What all the things I'm clicking on. Okay, we've got quite a few questions. We can burn through these pretty quick. Uh, here we go. How do you, this is from Discord. How do you feel about employers designing tests that require applicants to spend several hours on them, but provide no feedback on their performance? Well, I, I wouldn't, I mean, I, personally, I wouldn't do it. Um, right. I mean, Me neither. Part, part of it is, you know, again, people think that getting a job is all about, is all in the employer's hand and it's all about the employer and they, they, they are their first, Oh my God, I got a job offer. Oh my God. I can't believe it. This is great. They don't negotiate. They don't look at it. The time it's your time is just as valuable as theirs. And I, I always use this expression of you. If you put all your eggs into one basket, that's your job. A company doesn't care. A company has hundred employees, 50 employees. They just get another one. This is your career. Right. This is your career. You're putting everything into this. So you have to treat this as your time. And you could ask the employer and say, before I take this, are you going to give me any feedback? And again, if they say no, I, I wouldn't bother because then it's like the putting your resume in a black box and never hearing back. It's very frustrating and, and just makes you feel like shit personally. So don't, right. don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Right. Well, I know because so I, I was a 3D animator for a while and there was a lot of companies that wanted you to do an animation test. And you're like, but I've got this demo reel that has hours of animation in it. And uh, I, I didn't know how I felt about that. I mean, I guess I can I can understand that in specific situations, like if it's a particular niche kind of thing that is within your skill set, but you don't have the experience of it. I, I mean, I can see that, but I don't. But know. often... And they won't even let you have that opportunity, right? Like often they won't, you won't even be screened past that if you don't have that skill set. Right. And that's where the challenge is, where everybody keeps complaining they don't have enough. The pipeline is there. Pipeline is there. It's just got lots of blocks along the way. Right. We need to open those up. Exactly. I agree. Here's another one from Discord. As a woman, I personally struggle with finding opportunities in the industry. What actions can I take to feel more empowered in my professional background? Yeah, and that that is, um, I work with a lot of women in AI, for example, um, and um, it's it's a common it's a common struggle. Um, but what I found found is a lot of, uh, of women are going into these groups, um, and I know there's gaming groups that are out there for women. Uh, there's uh, that you can belong to and get opportunities. Uh, like we just did a hackathon uh, with a group. Um, we want to do um, a game jam. And so, but if it's a focus on something, it gives you that experience. You get to meet other people. You feel more confident. Um, mm -hmm. You can put it on your resume. 
you know, because you've done this, you've built something, you've been part of it. Um, and that's the whole thing of Happy Hive is that we want to create these teams, give them those opportunities in a safe space where they're coached, um, with the company being involved so they can see, so that they can have input and back. So back to your point about getting no input, we want input, we want to learn. What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? Um, how can we be better employers? So I would suggest that is just getting involved with any kind of organizations that are out there, um, you know, um, and, and they, they can help out a lot. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, uh, here's another, we've got all kinds of questions from Discord. When it comes to writing resumes and cover letters, ChatGPT <laughs> has become the new standard. What is your opinion on this? And do you believe it provides applicants with an advantage? Ah, interesting. I, I, I have to admit, I love uh, chats and GPT. I love it. Uh, I just find it so fascinating and fun. Um, well, I mean, I, I would totally use it. Um, it's there. It's available. It helps you with the cover letters. Cover letters are awful to write. I hate them. I hate cover letters. I hate resumes. So, um, and the amount of time you have to spend on creating those. And let's be honest, half the time it never, never even gets to the right people. So mm -hmm. using that to speed up uh, is only to your advantage and I would totally use it. Um, and it also helps you go through companies and it will allow you to look at what companies stand for. Cause I, I do like doing rather than just blindly sending out resumes. I like to study the company. Um, is it going right. to be a good company to begin with? Does it have a bad rap? Like, do I even want to work for a company like that? Are they going to want me to have five years experience in an entry level position and then and pay me $9? Exactly. And that's why I'm saying about transparency. It's like, you know, where, where are companies coming from? We need to demand more from companies right. and we should, we should. For sure. Um, so chat GPT is amazing and I love yep. to mess with it. It's all in the prompt, right? It's, I like to have it write something and yeah. then have it grade itself with a letter grade and tell me why it gave you that grade and then <laughs> have it rewrite it again, but making it an A plus. And it does That's that. Awesome. It's amazing. It's it's so fun yeah. to mess with. It is. But, so I would totally use it. <laughs> I, I Yeah, I love it. Okay, here we go. Uh, another one from Discord. Many companies tend to employ individuals without providing any proper onboarding. What oh, suggestions would you offer to start to someone who is expected to have all the knowledge right from the start? Oh, my gosh. That's a good one. Oh. It's a good one. It's a really good question. And you're right. It, it's this, um, again, I would do it a very well. I'm being, while I'm interviewing for a company job, I would say, what is your onboarding process? And even before I take that job, because you're right, like I have seen disasters happen where they're like, oh, we're a family. We're going to help you through it. And then after a month, they're like, you're not up to skate. You know, you're not doing what we want you to do and you're gone. Um, so I think the onboarding is a good question to ask. What is your expectation? There's also a great book out there, um, The First 90 Days. I can't uh -huh. remember the author's name, but um, you read something like that, it'll tell you um, what, what are great attributes, what you should do. And the biggest thing is, what is your expectation of me? Like, just say it out loud. What if for the next 90 days, just like our, you know, presidents, when they come in the first 100 days, what is your expectation, expectation of the first 90 days? And if you don't like what you hear, don't take the job because... It's, it's again, back to, you're putting all your eggs in this basket. It's gotta be good. It's gotta right. be a good basket. Right. Okay. Let's see here. Let's that one. Uh, how much time are you looking at? Okay. Uh, here's a, here's a, here's a long one. Uh, another one from discord after being jobless for several months, I've ex 
encountered some extremely unpleasant interactions with recruiters. It's quite demoralizing for me. Do you think that such negative experiences have become the new standard in applicant recruiter interactions? Um, I Unfortunately, I'll tell you that rec recruiters have uh, been not doing a great job for years. It's not just now. Um, and I'm sorry, uh, your experience. It is, it's countless people will have it. And that's part of the reason why I started Happy Hive. I was just, I'm a, I'm a filmmaker. I do other things. I'm not a tech person, but I was just like, this is such a bad way of hiring people. I hate mm -hmm. it. So your experience is a common one. And um, unfortunately, but you know, there are again, ways to know that um, again, finding colleagues or other people that are in the same boat that maybe you get on discord and you have discussions so you can all kind of bolster each other up it's always about learning like just even reading a book or a podcast listening to a podcast about things that you're interested in can help you to feel more emboldened and and excited about your career that, of your choice um, and then again i don't blindly send out resumes i would never do that i i research companies and sometimes it's the weirdest things like I've heard people 50, I don't want to go out of the 50 mile radius of my house. I don't want to commute or whatever, 20 mile. And they start looking at companies around those areas. Right. Um, so pick a different way of just in the same way we want companies to stop recruiting that way. Stop doing the same things that you're doing. Maybe will help you to kind of break up and, and look at it differently. But I would find a group. It's always nice to be with other people that are experiencing, you know, you can commiserate with and go, oh my God, help me. <laughs> I love the... Uh... It's a, it's, it's, it's a, the meme, you know, on Facebook, they have like the, I applied for this job and did it. And it's a whole little story. The story of the guy that he got fired from his job. And then two weeks later, a recruiter reached out to him to hire him for the job that he just got fired from. Oh. <laughs> so he actually went into the job interview and he had like a fake mustache and he went through like this whole process and they were getting him snacks. <clears throat> and, and then at the end he goes, how did you how did you realize it was he goes ha ha and he rips off the mustache and but they already knew but i mean that, yeah. that's just hilarious okay that's we've only got a minute so i'm gonna yeah. ask this last question right here what psychometric testing do you use in the hiring process so um we use something called disc um and you can actually do a test Use, you do it yourself. I think there's a free version. It's not as in depth as what we would do, but it's really a great um, it's it's a great assessment tool to give you some um, idea of of your 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 strengths. So what what does that do exactly? It's it, uh, what kind of question? Ask you a series of questions. So it could be everything like how do you deal with this? Like how do you feel about this? Um, so it'll give you different experiences and different situations and sort of get your response. And then like multiple um, choice answers. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Look at you. And, and from that, they, they can decide, I can't even remember what the, the acronym stands for now, but, um, uh, cause I have, I have people that do that all for me. So, uh, they do. And you, it's nice to have, we have a professional coach that go, takes the team through what their disc results are, but it's oh, kind okay. of fun to do. That's neat. It, do you can do it yourself as i said um you can see you know a little bit more about your personality and and how you respond to what your triggers are and how you learn so i'm also a community manager for a charity and we have something like that that shows us our top five attributes or whatever so yeah. here i'll do the quick follow-up question uh how specifically do you use it in the hiring process so we um we use it for our, our team building we 
like we don't hire people, we create teams and we coach them and then they get hired by companies. So, um, but we use it at the very beginning, Shelly, so that we can say, um, each teammate will know how each other works. And it just gives you a confidence to know, yeah, I'm really good at this. I am really good at this. I'm really good at communicating or whatever it is. And then your teammates also know, hey, Shelly's really good at communicating. So we can, you know, it just gives everybody a little bit more, like half the time we don't even know our teammates anymore. We're right. sitting on these computers and we never even get to talk to each other. Except about, for Zoom. Right? Except for Zoom. <laughs> the scrum and the stand-up, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we have that because we use Paylocity. And so all of that, you can look up people's things in Paylocity. Paylocity is like the whatever it tracks you can put a journal and it tracks your hours and all that kind of stuff oh wow all right okay. well thank you so much okay. for that uh next we've great got questions a, we've got yes great questions there's other questions as well but we don't have time for those we have an amazing panel right here uh what does it say a round table that explores a creative pr approach behind promoting indie games and this is going to be interesting, and that is coming up right away. So thank you so much, Karin, for being here with us. We really appreciate you. And we'll see you all in just a minute, everybody. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.